Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Payments professor here. And today on the Payments Podium, we're going to have some fun. We're going to start talking about real-time payments. Well, actually, we're going to be talking about audits. Yes, Yes, I just said we're going to have fun and we're going to talk about audits. I have got a payments expert that's going to be joining us today. I got to say he's a friend too. And we know how to argue. I mean, we know how to discuss payments like no other. And today on the Payments Podium, I've got David Payne. David, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, okay, I don't know. You just, just call me an auditor. I don't know if I should introduce myself or just sneak up on people when they're not looking. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> my name's David Payne. I'm actually the compliance manager now for ACH Alert. But what I do and have done in the past for the last 10 years is audit payment systems and risk management systems and look at it and have fun with it and tell people how to improve it and what they need to do to fix it. What they need to do to fix it. And you said you're with ACH Alert now, but you're still working in risk and compliance, right? That's correct. I am the compliance manager for them. So I'm doing risk management and compliance for their internal controls. Now, um, if I'm correct though, and, and I have known you for a while, but for those people out there listening, can we give them an idea of how long you've been auditing? Uh, auditing in general or just payment systems auditing? Now, payment systems auditing, it's been about a decade. Yeah, auditing before that, I had another job where I did about five years worth of auditing at a bank level. So I touched on a lot of different areas outside of payments. So I've been doing auditing work for about 15 years. So basically, you've been doing auditing for over a decade and you've done it in more areas than just in the banking sector, correct? That's correct. And am, am I've I also touched. You've got some certifications to go along with auditing. Is, is that correct too? I, I do. I spent a couple of years working on two certifications in reference to auditing. One of them is certified internal auditor, and the other one is now a defunct audit certification that they just give a badge for. It's called a certified financial services auditor, which was the emphasis was in banking. They had some other ones in other areas, but that's what I did. All right. So we've established that you're certifiable. I mean, we've established that you're certified when it comes <laughs> to working in the banking industry and being, and folks out there, yes, I'm playing around having some fun with David. We go way back. I hope you're going to enjoy this podcast. And I just wanted to be able to let him introduce himself enough to you get an idea that this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. In fact, People, when they come to me with risk management and audit type questions, there's, you know, about three or four people in this country that I, I'm like, I'm going to go talk to them. David is definitely one of my go-to guys, and he's going to help us to understand our past, our present, and our possibilities when it comes to audit. And we're going to especially focus a little bit on the RTP audit and what needs to be done with that, since it is something so new and something is coming. But before we get to new and what's coming, we got to talk a little bit about the past. And a question I get a lot, David, is why do I have to do an audit? What's even the reason for it? So can we just answer that general question so everybody out there knows this is why you're doing an audit. This is why it has to be done. And this is why you should really love your auditors. See, now I've got to really be careful because I can get way down in that and talk a really high level for a long time about why you need to do an audit and what the purpose is. But let's touch base just kind of at a high level and 
mainly let's talk about it from a regulatory and risk management perspective. The regulators have all talked about managing risk and they reference different frameworks or a specific framework that you should use as an example of risk management. And that is a COSO framework, which is the Committee of Sponsoring Organizations of the Treadstone Commission, which was a fraud, was created as a fraud system or a fraud investigation for a big financial loss from the early late 80s, I think early 90s. It's been a while. And they just kept it going. And it's in this, I think of the third, second or third iteration was from 2013. Now, this framework says this is how you look at risk. This is how you look at internal controls. And this is how you make sure your company succeeds. And that is the whole purpose of an internal control. Everything that you're looking at there is what you put in place so that you can succeed, stay in business, make money, do whatever you need to as a financial institution or just a regular company. Now, an audit is a way of looking at risk, determining what your risk would be without any controls, adding in those different controls to see how it reduces your risk to a level that the board and management is comfortable with and accepting that level of risk. So an audit then goes in and says, okay, these are the key controls that have been established to manage risk. Let's make sure they're working like we want them to. And that's it. So if I just break this down, audit is really as simple as look at your risk, manage your risk, control your risk, succeed. Absolutely. That's all it is. It's a key piece that's used to make sure that what you put in place to, to succeed is working like you want it to. Now, let, let's have some fun because you and I have been around payments for a little while. And I know some of the people that listen to Payments Podium uh, a lot of times they are new to the payments industry and they don't get why we've got to do this. Some of them have been around for a while and they still want to know why do we have to do this? And I understand, and I'm sure you do too, that a lot of the auditing controls and purposes of the audit came about because there were things like we see today, data breaches, but in the past it was money was lost, money was laundered, that you know things went wrong. And that's why today, we have the controls and the practices for auditing that we must have in place. Yes, we, there's a lot of things that uh, go into play when they look at things. A lot of times you're very reactive. So anytime there's a loss, anytime there's a problem, you're going to react, you're going to nail it down. A lot of times that pendulum will go really far the other way and you'll nail it down so tight that it's hard to function and then it starts to back up a little bit. So this is where being proactive and managing it effectively from a risk management standpoint is really important. It keeps you from having that pendulum swing so widely because you're managing that risk and trying to control it effectively. And that goes back to reporting and, and looking at things from a risk management perspective. All right. So I think, folks, you understand now why we're doing audits, what's out there. It's got a huge purpose. Uh, really, you should love your auditors. They're going to help keep your business going and keep you in business because they're going to protect you from doing those things that have caused other businesses. And seriously, I'm sure, David, you could talk to stories about it, but I can uh, for sure of where I've seen people who didn't have the proper controls, suffered large enough losses, they went out of business because it was that catastrophic to them. Or you get fines from your regulators when, when they come in, they're checking you out because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Or I can talk to cases too of people I know, they lost their jobs 
because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So that's the past. That's why we do all that. Now, in the Payments Professor, we also want to talk about the present and the possibilities. And one of the reasons I brought David on is because he is an auditor extraordinaire. I know he's worked in wires. He's worked in what remote deposit capture. You've also worked in ACH. So you're somebody who knows payments, knows payments audits. And I would ask you, let's get started. Let's look at the present landscape of real-time payments or really just RTP. RTP, faster payments. And that could be other things like, you know, uh, maybe Zelle. Maybe it is same-day ACH, however you define faster payments. But let's start that discussion. If you're an auditor or you're somebody really preparing for an audit today in the present world we live in, when it comes to the world of faster payments, what's the first thing you'd say you need to pay attention to this? The first thing I'm going to say is risk. And I want to kind of extrapolate a little bit about that first. There's two different types of audits that are talked about a lot, which is a compliance audit and a risk-based audit. A compliance audit looks at a regulation or a rule or something along, in this situation, payment system. So what you're doing there is making sure that whoever you're auditing is complying with the rules. And then you've got risk. Now, there are certain, let's just use the ACH network as an example. There are certain things that are dictated within the rules, like you've got to have an exposure limit established for every originator that doesn't have or does not provide any guidance on how that is done. So then you look for additional guidance for other areas, and then you start moving into risk. Now, from a risk perspective, it goes back to how much risk do you have? How do you quantify that risk? And then how are you mitigating or managing that risk? And is that mitigation working? And if so, is the level of risk after the controls are in place acceptable? So what you're looking at from an audit and how you're preparing and, and how you're examining the payment system, you want to look at it from a compliance perspective and you want to look at it from a risk perspective. Because there's going to be things that are outside of the compliance that have to be looked at because they could expose you to potential losses. And you have to look at those to make sure that you're managing that risk effectively as well and not leaving it out. Like, well, when we say risk, though, is there like a specific risk? Because risk just gets to be so general. I mean, what's like the specific risk I got to look at? What are the more specific controls I got to have in place? I mean, because you and I, you know, we say risk and we assume, oh, you should be looking here. It should be your exposure of how much you're allowing a business or an individual to have out there. So for people listening in, what are more of the specifics that they need to drill down to and be aware of this or what controls should be in place? Well, the biggest control that you're looking at, especially with RTP, because it's a credit push, they're pushing money out. The biggest control is how are you verifying the person making the request is the person that is authorized to make the request. So from a controls perspective, you've got to look at how that identification process is being done. It could be done from a variety of sources, depending on the application that's being used to make the request. If it's online, it could be in uh, username and password. It could be just um, cookies or different components that are put on with the browser and how you're doing the browser system. Now, the talk about that a little bit, we're going to get a little technical. And I don't want to go too far because I'm not a techie person per se. I just have a huge interest in it. <laughs> but you can actually get and create a fingerprint of somebody's system or laptop because there's certain settings with your 
um, screen settings, the size of it, the different icons, the browser you use, the version you use, all the different things installed on, on the different add-ons with the browser, et cetera. And in that situation, you become one in how many, depending on how unique it is, and that becomes a fingerprint. So that fingerprint can actually be used to track you across the web because that is a unique identifier of that PC. They may not know who you are, but they could be combining that with certain comp components, which would allow them to verify as another level, the identity of the person that's signing on and making the request. There's also uh, one-time passwords, all these different pieces that can be used to authenticate that person. All of these pieces then are used to the, as controls to verify the person making the request is the person that is actually authorized to make that request. So that's one of the key authentication key process. Is that what you're saying? Is let's yes. look deeper. Let's make sure you've got a good authentication process. You've got something, whatever it is, your method for uh, verifying that person is who they are is in place. Yes. Now, and looking at it, if you want to, I love to look at things from a risk assessment perspective. And what I mean by that is you've got your inherent risk, your controls, and then your residual risk. Typically, the calculation of residual risk has a impact, which is how much, if you take a loss here, would the impact, it, impact the organization. And the other one is the likelihood. Now, what we're talking about from authentication is reducing the likelihood of the event occurring. If you flip it over and look at the impact, how do you reduce the impact if the event occurs? So if you get authenticated improperly or someone is able to wiggle past that authentication, how do you reduce the impact? You have the $100,000 limit, you have a $25,000 limit, you have a $5,000 limit. So that's where the other piece comes into place. All right, that was really big right there is, you know, more of the control aspect of things. You've got this risk of you can have loss and then you just mentioned, um, you limit how much you're going to be lost. It's not eliminate, you eliminate when you can, but you at least limit how much is going to be lost. And you said having limits. So do you, do you, are you a fan of having limits and how do those limits look? I mean, especially in faster payments, it's going to be gone in seconds. Settlements taking place in seconds. It's out there. Are you, are you saying we should have limits and be looking for limits on our end users or how's, how's that work? Is there a difference between business and consumer end users as well? Am I a fan of limits? Yes, as a control. Am I a fan of no limits? Yes, if you have other controls. So limits are a good way of mitigating risk. Is it the only way? Not even remotely. Because if you set it up with a low limit for like a business, like we're talking about business customers typically need more money because they're moving a lot more money. So their limits need to be higher, which could expose you to additional risk. So in that situation, and this is something I do want to really talk about. They like to concentrate. When I say they, a lot of institutions concentrate on that likelihood, reducing that likelihood. So they put in a lot of different controls to authenticate the person that's making the request. And then they don't put any limits on the back end. Now, you can do that. Now, if you have a breach in the front end, if they get past the authentication process, you, you're not limiting the impact it'll have on your organization. Now, what happens on the back end, which is getting away from an audit component per se, would be to look at or to think about your insurance. So, and what I see a lot of times too, is they'll have an insurance policy where they're insured for losses over a certain dollar amount. So that way they're, they're putting a different limit in place. They're limiting their losses by having an insurance policy. 
And sometimes those insurance policies will mandate specific controls. Like I've seen several of them with call-in wires. If you are buying the policy, they require you to record all call-in wires. So they've got that piece in there to make sure that you have these minimum controls in place before they'll cover it as a loss. But that's just a different way of managing your risk. It's a holistic approach. And you've got to look at your whole process when you're looking at RTP audits on the authentication, whether you're going to put limits in place or whether you're going to just move it to an insurance policy and put no limits in place. It just depends on the organization and their acceptance of risk. All right. Since we're talking about currently what's happening, what you just said is really huge, in my opinion. It said it depends on the organization and their acceptance on risk. And what we see currently in the environment happening in, in, you know, not just faster payments, but in all payments, isn't that what's key is each organization is going to be a little different. Each organization is going to have controls and manage your risk based on who they are and how they operate. Definitely. And this is where you get into a moving target. Uh, compliance is one thing because it's pretty consistent. It's across the board. But when you start looking at risk management and those components, that becomes much more unique to every institution or every organization that's using this payment system. All right. Okay. Well, anything else that you'd say as far as especially faster payments, RTP, that in dealing with the present current environment, what people should be looking at or considering? Like what's that one hot topic or button, especially before we start looking at the future of what things are gonna be like. But right now today, what would you say, hey, if you're building this, this is what I would do or what I know happens and exists? One thing I definitely want to mention and, and talk about, as an auditor, your job is to make sure all the controls are working as intended. Most of the operations people, their job is to reduce risk to a non-existential, a non, I'm going to stop that and start over. Their idea is to reduce the risk to zero if possible. So they want to reduce risk completely because that's their job is to protect the organization's money to make sure nobody accesses that shouldn't. The thing is, whenever you're doing any type of implementation or anything you have to accept a certain level of risk. And I uh, remember having a conversation, actually it was with Wanda, uh, talking about if you're going to do RTP, you need to give it to certain people and those people need to be vetted before you give it to them. And I said, no, I disagree. I said, you can give it to everyone on, in every one of your customers tomorrow, whenever, with no problem, just automatically give it to them. She says, well, what do you mean? I said, you give them a $500 limit. You just change the way you're looking at it. You could vet them on the front end, give them a very high dollar limit, or give them a really low limit, give them to everybody, and you've reduced the chance of it happening from a loss long-term because you've lowered that limit. There's a lot of different ways of looking at risk, and you just kind of kind of wrap your brain around all the different variables. Wait, wait, I want to wrap my brain about what you just said. Uh, you know, everybody listening is probably trying to wrap their brain around it too. So you're saying, I can give RTP to everybody but in doing so, the safest way to do so is to have a lower dollar limit. And RTP's already got a $25,000 limit. Um, I'm sorry, that's a $100,000 limit. They started off with 25, quickly went to 100,000. That's a lot of money that can be lost. So having a limit lower than that, which is allowed by the rules, could be put in place. Uh, you talk about having the insurance for the pool that's in there too, but then there's also the capability of you vet each individual user and give them their limit because something else i like to throw out when it comes to rtp is 
you can't send what you don't have. Is it possible to have a control in place that is, you can only send what's available to you and then have controls on top of that? Yes. And then let's talk about that. Let's have some real fun. You can only spend what you have, right? So what if you're also allowing these commercial customers mobile deposit or merchant deposit? And let's say you want them to use that instead of coming to the branches. So you give them in what I call enhanced funds availability, which is funds faster than it would tip- typically be from a regulatory per, per or start over there, a regulatory requirement. So in that situation, you've suddenly increased your potential for loss by tying funds availability from one payment system to another payment system. So you've also got to look at kind of like cross-channel risk from the various payment systems, how fast they settle, how fast they move, and how you are providing funds availability. So that's a nice knot to look at as well. Boy, that's a lot of it too. How fast are you providing all that? And there's requirements according to the rules of how fast all of that has to be done on top of it. So there's a lot that goes into play in that. All right. I got a feeling we could probably talk about this for a long time. And I, I, I do want, want to, you know, before I move on, do say, you know, is there anything else, you know, another area on that? I mean, we hit limits, we've hit authentication controls. What would be something else that's just really big, you know, like say if you had to round it up to be your top three, we got authentication, we got having controls, and, and, and those are limit controls. And those controls for your users, what would be that third one that, you know, I would really go look at this one too, besides just knowing who you're working with, knowing how much they can send, but have this one looked at too, this other third control. There's one control that's required or talked about with COSA, which I think is underutilized in a lot of organizations. And that's what they call monitoring. And monitoring is basically reporting. So the question then becomes, let's say, for example, you've got reporting across all of your different payment systems, and then it becomes more granular. You've got those, let's say, the higher risk customers that have a higher dollar amount. When you see spikes or variations there, looking at that overall history of that customer, monitoring their activity, knowing when something unusual occurs, you could have it either from an electronic perspective where it's automated or a manual process where you're looking at reporting the next day or even on a weekly basis. Now, this is what's called a detective control, which means it's after the fact. It won't mitigate risk and prevent a loss from occurring, but it will reduce the chance of it occurring long-term because you're monitoring that activity and looking for that unusual activity. If something pops up, you can investigate, determine if it's normal, determine if it's unusual, block it, lock it, you know, shut everything down to keep you from suffering a long-term loss. I would see a lot of companies that have, or financial institutions that have, a lot of good reporting, but they don't utilize it to the level they could, or they have limited reporting and need more information to be able to really delve down into it and get really good information on the type of activity they see across the different payment systems. Hey, wow, that, that is a lot. In fact, it's interesting too, as you know, if we really were to go deep into auditing for RTP, one of the things that is there is that level of monitoring is already expected to be there. It's required by the rule schedules that are in place. And then to, you would have to audit how that monitoring is being done, what's being done if something goes wrong. 
I know another big area, you know, I'm having trouble getting out of the present because we're, we're having fun with this. When you mentioned monitoring, it's also the opposite is reporting. With monitoring, I've always seen that hand in, it goes hand in hand with reporting and what your reporting is. And I think a big area that we've got to be able to report on is going to be to the board. And what do you give to them? That's a question that, you know, just popped in that I get a lot of times as I'm thinking about this is people are like, okay, if we've had an audit, we've done a risk assessment, and we might have to do a separate risk assessment discussion, RTP here, David, that comes to mind too. But if we've done an audit, we've done a risk assessment, what do we report back to the board? Or if we're ongoing even with our system, what do we report back to the board? I mean, what's your recommendation knowing RTP so new that these banks, these credit unions out there that they're getting on board with faster payments, what should they expect to have to be reporting back to the board that the regulatory bodies, the auditors are going to want to see? Well, one of the things that I always have talked about when talking about board reporting has to do with what is the purpose of it? Why do you report to the board to begin with? And it's so they have a general idea that the controls that management put in place are working as intended. So what you want to do, I see a lot of people that provide volume information, which is great because it gives them a baseline of how much money is going through the different payment systems. And then if you delve down or look at those things that are exceptions, those unusual activities, those one-offs, those things that you don't see on a regular basis, or something that is over limit, things like that, that is where you start looking at are the controls working? So if, let's say, for example, that $500 limit I mentioned, if you establish a $500 limit on 1,000 people, but you approve over-limit ex exceptions for 900 of them, it's not a very effective control. Now, in that situation, then the board needs to understand, okay, these are higher, these are exceptions, what is going on? Is the control too low? Are we managing risk effectively? Or are we exposing ourselves to more risk than we need? So that's the way to think about reporting. And then you try to pick those key controls that you know manage that risk effectively and provide the board with kind of a summary of that information, how effective that's working. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is uh, pretty big to be able to get there. I mean, I've always given a lot of the generic answers of you got to be able to show them your volume. You got to be able to show you what that average dollar amount is. And one that's always important to the board, too, is are you losing money or are you making money and how much of you, which side is taking place? All right, let, let's go ahead though, because you know we're getting along here, we're having a great discussion, and this is an area where you and I have had many nights of uh, conversation on is the future of payments. We love to you know, think about what's gonna happen in the future of payments. So let's keep it focused though, because David, I know how we are. Let's keep ourselves real, Dan, and let's look <laughs> at RTP, and let's look at faster payments, and let's look at the audit process. Where do you think, where do you see as the future moves on, the audit process, especially now take into consideration, we are hopefully post COVID or at least post quarantine, but we're in a world that there's, you know, still the six feet separation has got to take place. That doesn't stop banks or credit unions from being held accountable for the audit process. That doesn't remove the requirement for the audit to have to take place annually. That's what the RTP rules say. It's going to take place annually. So what does the world of audit in the future for faster payments really look like? Well, one of the advantages you mentioned as far as from a reporting standpoint is they've got good information. So that information can be then rolled up and examined and based upon the examination, give you more granular data. 
there's a big push, in, especially in auditing, where they do continuous auditing, where they get the information and they monitor on a regular basis and check those controls. So let's say, for example, as a $500 limit, they get the overall volume for everything. Any one thing that goes over that, they automatically go back and check and see if the approval was in place. So that's a control that they put in place and they're verifying that as it goes forward. So one of the big advantages for that level of information is that you can then determine how effective your controls are working. One of the things that I think about when you do that or look at it, though, is you've got to understand, too, that there will be exceptions and some things will happen where you may not have the appropriate approval or something else in, in effect. And then it becomes less from a compliance or accuracy and then looking more about risk. So at what point in time or at what level does that one exception become a major breakdown in the internal controls? Is it at five? Is it at six? Is it at 10? If you've got a volume of 40,000, 10 is pretty small. If you've got a volume of 12, 10 is pretty big. So then it becomes another moving target where you've got to look at overall volume and calculate and determine based upon your acceptance of risk, when is it a big deal? When do you care? And when do you want to elevate it? So it becomes much more interesting, and much more nuanced and less about black and white check the box, but more like, Let's analyze this information. Let's take a look at it. Let's determine what we're looking at, how much of whether this is exception issue is going to be an issue or whether it's not really an issue. Well, that it gets is interesting. To look at though too. <laughs> but again, the, the, the big thing you've hit in there too is RTP is new. I mean, it's been around a couple of years now. Don't get me wrong. But as far as the level of adoption and the uses, I think that the level of adoption is going to peak throughout 2020. I really do, because it is such a fast contactless type payment. But, you know, the volumes have already been there somewhat, at least in the larger financial institutions. But it's new in the sense that we're still figuring it out. I've looked at other countries and what they're doing, and, you know, it gives us an idea of what to expect. But there are going to be the things that we didn't expect this to happen. I think we saw that too with same day ACH, didn't we? That when, you know, ACH went from next day to same day, there were some nuances that said, hey, you, you've got to adapt and change for this. So I believe you, you nailed it with what's going to happen with faster payments is we don't know yet some of the things that we've got to look at. We don't know, hey, that this is going to happen and a control needs to be in place. Would, would you say that's valid and that's what you're really conveying to everybody is there's the unexpected that's going to happen? Oh, definitely. You, you will suffer a loss, period. Uh, the idea that you're not going to suffer a loss, that you're not going to, that you're going to nail it down to such an extent, you're going to be perfect and you're not going to have any problems is never going to happen. You will suffer a loss. You will change things. Make sure you don't make the swim, the pendulum swing all the way to the other side. And you just control it and accept risk to a certain level. Yeah, it's going to be a moving target. It's going to change and it's going to become interesting. One of the things that I like, the RTP system is a great system. I really like the way it's set up, but I'm still waiting for the front-end implementations to trickle down where they've got some really cool stuff on the front-end from an authentication standpoint, from an application on a phone, the biometrics, all that different stuff. You know, I have a, an account with a smaller institution. I'm like, okay, are you going to do that? I don't know. Let's find out. So that part I think is going to be really interesting and where it becomes really cool. I also think that because of the contactless payment systems and the importance of it, especially now, that it's going to have a, a much likely, more likelihood of occurring 
than it would have before COVID-19. So I think that's definitely going to impact things and change things. So more biometrics as far as the authentication, you see that as a big trend coming forward. But I, I got to say, though, too, and I want to quote you on this, you will suffer a loss, period. <laughs> yeah, coming straight you from an auditor. That's uh, accept it. You know, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I'm with you right there. I mean, I can tell you now, that's going to be one of the things that we're going to, when we promote this, we're going to say you will suffer a loss, period. Folks, if you're listening, let me tell you, this is the real world you live in. You are going to have a loss. You have losses in every payment channel you're working with right now. Tell me one you don't. I mean, can you, David, can you tell me a payment channel? There's no losses. If you haven't suffered a loss, you got lucky. Period. Uh, you can have the best controls in the world and still suffer a loss. You can have the worst controls in the world and never suffer a loss, at least within a 12-month period. So, yeah, if you haven't suffered a loss, you just got lucky. Yeah, I, I got to say lucky. And I, I, I would like to see somebody who's not suffered a loss at all because every payment channel, the thing is we work with money. People are after it. And there's people just make mistakes in general itself too. But biometrics and contactless, that's a really fun area to be able to end on. Um, because here we are with the biometrics part, you know, we're, we're getting out of COVID-19. Nobody wants to touch anything, let alone be within six feet. You know, that's what we're told, be six feet away. And then that's the contactless part. So I see, and I mean, maybe this is a little bit off of the audits topic, but your opinion, do you see faster payments because of the fact that they are so fast, because of the fact that they do allow for the biometrics, but even more so the contactless part, are they going to take off? Is this something that all audit and compliance departments just need to realize, hey, not only are you going to suffer a loss period, but it's coming. It has the potential definitely to take off. I love to see it take off. I love that. Like I said, I, the payment system is a good payment system. I think one of the things is, is making sure that the front end people do their implementation and roll it out. But I haven't seen anything yet that's, you know, and I'm not out there examining a lot of stuff, but I haven't seen anything yet that uh, has hammered away in, in a really awesome system from uh, real time payments yet on the front end. I know they're going to have it. I know they'll get there without a doubt. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I'm hoping that it'll be uh, nice and slick and smooth, and then I can change banks and go wherever they are. Right? Oh, wow. David, you, you really uh, have given so much in this. I mean, we started off, let, let's know your risk, let's manage, let's control the risk, and let's succeed. You talked about the controls, too. I love that. And setting limits, limits is something I really believe that's got to be there. And they're there in one way or another. And you gave us multiple ways that they can be done. But then, you know, that you're going to suffer a loss, period. Be prepared for it when it comes to the future. And that there's going to be a level of acceptable risk. And that comes down to who you are. So when we go to wrap this up, you know, any final comments that you want to be able to add into that, to add on to the knowing your risk, controlling your risk. But we definitely want to get to the succeed. To add into the limits and the setting the limits or the unexpected, that it is going to happen, the going to the biometrics and contactless. To just wrap things up, what would you say? Hey, RTP audits, everybody out there, payments podium people, listen to this. Oh, wow. No pressure. <laughs> the main thing I think in looking at risk and looking at any payment system is regardless of RTP or anything else, is that there is inherent risk in the system. But you can mitigate your risk to a level that you're comfortable with. And everybody's comfortable with different levels of risk. So your controls that you're using and how you're managing that risk is going to be different. Uh, 
But I firmly believe that you can roll out just about anything and do just about anything you want, provided you mitigate your risk effectively and you think about that process and you're comfortable with the end result. I've seen a lot of fear out there. A lot of people get nervous about stuff. And my thought about it is, yeah, there is nerve wracking stuff that's going to happen. Like you said, and like I said, you're going to suffer a loss. How you manage that is just part of the process. And just keeping that in mind and, and moving forward and managing your risk effectively as, as well as you can is the, the nature of the game. It is the nature of the game. Well, folks, you've been listening to David Payne. He's definitely, like I said, he's a Rix expert extraordinaire. Works for ACH Alert and being able to work with their compliance and their risk. So he definitely knows what he's talking about. You probably learned a lot. Uh, I want to say, David, thank you so much for being on the payments podium. I I got a feeling we're going to be having you back because I've already had some comments and questions about risk assessments in RTP and what that looks like, you know, and we went and we talked about audits. So we'll have to see how well this episode does. Uh, Folks, as always, though, if you're out there listening, like I just said, have had some comments, have had some feedback, you want to give those comments, you want to give those feedback, email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. You can always go to the Payments Professor website. You can go to the YouTube website, all of again, under Payments Professor. I want to hear your comments, want to hear your feedback. We are here to be able to make learning fun and engaging and entertaining when we can, too. You got to listen to David talk about RTP audits and what that looks like. We've got more coming in the future. Look forward to seeing you in a future class. But for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.